Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Swiss Ballers Pod. I'm Fabo, and as always, I'm joined by two absolute ballers, my good friends Toto in London and Armin back home in Zurich. How are we doing, boys? Hello, guys. Good. Hello, guys. Toto just woke up. I'm yeah. <laughs> honoured to introduce midfield maestro, my partner in crime at CM, the nicest Somali-Italian-English human alive, AC Milan fan, Hashi. Thank you so much for hopping on, my friend. How are you today? I'm good, I'm good. I think the only thing that's true in that is that I'm a Milan fan and my name is Hashi. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, all good, thanks. How are you? Man, you, you, you've, you've earned all the other, all the other uh, allocates very much. Um, yeah. But as always, let's kick off with some random questions. You know, you know I love a, a random question. Hashi, growing up, which player hurt the most when he left AC Milan? Ooh. See, instantly I'm thinking of two. I've got um, Kaká and Shevchenko. I think... But I would say Shevchenko because he, I was younger when it happened. And we were still kind of, I think at that point, we were still one of the best teams in Europe. I think when Kaká left, we had a couple, we had a season in the Europa League. Like, it was a, I'd had a lot of, a lot more heartbreak. When Shevchenko left, it was completely unexpected. And I thought, um, yeah, I thought we were, I thought we were done, to be honest. But then we ended up winning the Champions League the year, <laughs> the year that he left. So that was good. But, but that was, that was rough. That was a rough couple of days. I can't imagine which took him away from you. Um, obviously, we'll, that kind of sets up perfectly the, the main theme of this podcast, which will be AC Milan, sort of Italian football in general. We've got uh, a massive semi-final in the Champions League coming up between the two Milan sides, and we'll talk that in, in, a, in a second. We'll also go kind of to, to, to review the last 10, 12 years maybe of, of AC Milan and, and see the disappointments to the highs and, and back again and, of talk about that a bit. Um, speaking of disappointments, Armin, what was the biggest disappointment in your football fan career? Um, I love I how Armin it... always puts a lot of effort into answering these questions properly. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be um, when. Yeah, but uh, as an Arsenal fan, there is a lot of them, so take your time. <laughs> Careful, careful. <laughs> um, I would say when when Zurich got relegated, that was proper heartbreak, and yeah, I would I would say that. Okay, we'll we'll not we'll not dig, but we'll we'll move on to the next one. Um, all my <laughs> questions are, are quite downy questions today. Um, Joseph, what what stadium that you went to to see professional football at had the worst atmosphere? Mm. Wow. Um, Chelsea has to be Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, that I, was I, I, dead. Yeah, yeah, Chelsea is dead. But I mean, uh, when it was the Champions League against Dortmund, the atmosphere was quite good. But I went to a few games for the league, and since they are not good this year, the atmosphere was dead, 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 dead. But, yeah. Okay. I mean, I suppose. This podcast has become kind of a it's become a running theme on this podcast to abuse Chelsea and and um, <laughs> make fun of them. So for now, let's just let's just praise them. Uh, they won against Bournemouth uh, last uh, last weekend, three three one. Very very impressive. 
let's <laughs> let's move on to well, I'd like to say happier notes, but it's not really happier note. It's it's the the West Ham versus Man United game that we need to talk about quickly, just because Toto and I were at at the stadium. Uh, United losing one nil to West Ham after a David De Gea howler. Uh, I want to talk about sort of the the stadium, the atmosphere, because it's the first time I've I've been to the to the London Stadium. Toto, it wasn't the first time for you. What what do you make of that stadium? Like the atmosphere, the the vibes. Well, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, the the people were always talking about that stadium, like it's not a good stadium. You're you're quite far over from the the pitch, and I mean, I, I do really like the stadium. The, the stadium is really nice. Uh, everything that is outside of the stadium is good, and yeah, I do like the atmosphere, the, the bubbles at the beginning of the the game and everything. And I quite like the atmosphere, but I think it, it's always like the in the UK it depends on on if the the team you you're going to see if they win or not but yesterday it was a good atmosphere and the, the game against arsenal as well so yeah i do like the stadium to be honest yeah i i agree with you i think i, I was very impressed with like the whole olympic park setup it's very open yeah. plan it's very modern i i really like that and then i was really disappointed to kind of see the atmosphere until the until the hair dropped the <laughs> yeah the, so like the ball that. it was the atmosphere was incredibly flat and I was expecting more from, yeah. from a club like West Ham but then it's always the only thing I will say this stadium is just not a football stadium obviously and it's just no fun mm-hmm. watching football matches in there because you're so far away and I'd have I'd have 20k at Brentford any day of the week over that even though the stadium is really nice yeah. okay let's talk about the game Armand you said for the last couple of weeks you're not worried about United they'll comfortably reach top four do you agree with that still? Are you still not worried for them? Um, no. I think that has changed now quite a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think when I said that Lissandro Martinez and Varane were still in the team, I think there have been a massive loss. And, yeah, I mean, injuries can always harm you and it's and it, it is an excuse. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't look good yesterday. Um, even they, when they were one 0 down, West Ham were, were, were more, the more active team. And yeah, yeah, they need to they need to pick themselves up really fast because Liverpool are on them. And if they if they stay, I mean, well, I, I remember when they won against Manchester City at home. And it was in January, I think. And then they were competing at least in the title race. If they all of a sudden drop out of the top four, yeah, that would be a, a massive disappointment, I think, for for United. Yeah, actually, how what, what's your perception? You're obviously not a United fan, but mm. what our clubs have in common is that they're sort of a maybe icy men are not as much sleeping, but United are very much a sleeping giant. Shades of waking up, signs of waking up are, are happening at the moment. Do you? Do you is there is there a I know you're a bit of a football romantic as well. Is there a case of you want the big teams to kind of be on the big stage? Do you do you root for United maybe to play in the Champions League year in year out, or are you like no? I I wish I wish it wasn't anyone other than. <laughs> no, I'll answer that question in a second, but I think that's cheeky to call Milan sleep. We've slept our way to winning the league and getting no, no, the Champions that, League. No, no, that's what so I'm saying. Like, I, not as much a sleeping giant anymore. You 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 very much were asleep during the the 2010s. Yeah, no, no, 100%. Um, no, I definitely, like, 
obviously having grown up in the UK and seeing how dominant Man United were like when I was when I was younger, it is a bit of a shame seeing what they've kind of maybe not as much this year, certainly last year, what they've kind of been reduced to. I think I would still probably say that they'll be fine. I think they will make top four. I think Liverpool have left themselves a bit too much to do. Um, and and I think by no like I think the, the to, to to Armin's point about them having been competing in the title race at the start that like uh, at the start of the calendar I think that was all kind of smokescreen to be honest like having watched some of the games like they were nowhere near kind of I think they're round about where you I'd expect them to be kind of on the verge of being on the top four they've won a trophy this year it's obviously a lot better than what they had last year injuries aren't helping them I think they probably will go get over the line. But I think just watching the game yesterday it was the first United game I'd seen in a while. It's very obvious they need a few players because I don't know. There's it's weird. I can't really see anyone. Like I think Rashford's maybe the only proper athlete in the in the side. But then they they don't. But then if you look at Bruno and Eriksson are probably the only proper footballers in the side. And then that's three out of the eleven <laughs> that I think sort of are. Um, very kind of, um, I think that, that you expect to stay um, longer term, right? Casemiro's obviously done very well, but yesterday was a bit anonymous. Um, I don't know, I think a bit, bit randomly, but I think they probably are round about where I expect them to be, and it would be nice to see them um, sort of continue trending in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you there. I, that they, First of all, before I talk about the game, I need to I need to give a quick mention to Lucas Paqueta. He is an absolute baller. Yeah. I know Rice got the got the plaudits and rightly so. He was good as well. But Paqueta ran the show for West Ham, especially second half. He was he was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, Hashi, you're you're completely right. United look like a team, kind of. Like, like it feels like they've taken a step now, and they're ready for a, for a recharge and a new impulse. They look very sluggish. They look static. They look tired, and I think that's just down to the fact that this is where they are at, you know, in their development phase. They had a, they've had a really good season. Remember, we're only a year away from people, players like Matic, Mata, Pogba, Jesse Lingard. That's only a year ago. So having come this far, I think it's, it's, it's progress. But now it feels like with the injuries, you know, Martinez out, as, as Armand mentioned, and, and creates a knock-on effect. Shaw's now at centre-back, not at left-back, where he's been playing at a very high level. So Rashford has to play down the middle. As soon as teams drop deep, you kind of lose that... The, the the danger of him running in behind defenders, so it's it's the, the manager doesn't really have any other options because the other options include Martial and and Weghorst and it's just a bit all over the place now and and they just look like they need a new impulse and and it's now down to to the board to to deliver you know because I feel like the players and the manager have pretty much delivered what they could they're probably rightfully in fourth narrowly pursued by by fifth place um if it goes the wrong way for them they might fall out of the top four but i think that's roughly where united are at in reality and then it will be down to the board as i said to kind of be ruthless or not be ruthless we don't know exactly what's happening with that it it feels like the same old story with the glazers uh they're definitely struggling to score because they don't really have a striker up top and the david de gea issue we don't need to get into you know that it will be and I'm, I trust Ten Hag to know what he's doing. I trust that he knows that all these players 
uh, or that a lot of players need to be shipped, that a lot of new blood needs to come in. I trust him, even when he says, you know, we're going to renew De Gea's contract. He said that about Ronaldo as well. He said he wants Ronaldo to stay. He's backed his players publicly, but I know full well that he knows he's not going to get where he wants to with De Gea as a keeper. And now it's down to the board to to, to deliver and, and see if we can get other players in, if we can get better players in, if we can really challenge. Um, you know, I had a heated debate with Armand during the week and you were like, we're talking Man United, they've got to be challenging for the best. And, and I think now comes a really crucial time with that. If they really want to challenge, can they go out and get someone like Kane? Can they ship out players like De Gea and, and Maguire and all the rest of the of the players that won't really elevate the team anymore? You know, you mentioned three names there, Hashi, that can elevate the team and there's a lot of them that don't. And now it's down to mm-hmm. the board to see if we can if we can renew the squad again and, and ship players like we did last summer because that was really promising and, and it needs another overhaul now. Um, and on a football level, it will be interesting to see, A, if they can get the top four, three games out of four they need to win in order to achieve that, um, and then to see if they can pull together for the cup final because if they turn up like this against City, then it will not be a game. Yeah. It will be a slaughtering. And um, Yeah. That's my take on it. I needed to get that off my <laughs> chest. As we all know, we do therapy here. <laughs> Let's quickly move on to the the relegation scrap. Um, West Ham are now all but safe with their win against United. So yeah. it, it looks like it's going to be three teams out of the five of Leicester, Leeds, Nottingham Forest, Everton and Southampton. Hashi, our favourite question on this pod is who's going to get relegated? So I'm going to ask it to you. Who do you think is going to go down? Um, it's tight, right? Because a lot of those teams have still have some big teams that they still have to play. I think Everton still have to play City and Brighton. I think um, you've still got. I think Nottingham Forest still have to play Arsenal. I think Southampton are obviously gone. I think I'm very scared for Leeds because I think they have they've they've played the extra game in comparison to the other teams. So I think I'd probably say they're in in, in trouble. And for me, it's between. Everton and Nottingham Forest and it feels really wrong to say that Everton are going to go down just because they've just been such a staple of the Premier League and they're as big a club as anyone outside of the the, the top four even to be honest because it's like back in the 80s and 90s they used to uh, challenge quite a bit but I think they've just got nothing going forward and that's where I think if you the teams that often do well and get out of um, the relegation battles because they've got someone scoring goals. You're not down there if you've got a good defence, right? So you need someone that's going to put the, the ball in the back of the net. And I think I'd probably say because Everton, Everton strikers and frontmen are, haven't been doing anything for the last couple of seasons, bar Richarlison who's left, um, I'd say I'd say they'd go down. So I'd say Southampton leads in Everton. And I say that with no kind of uh, happiness because... I actually like Everton and Leeds. I think they add stuff to the Premier League. Um, and But I, I just can't see how um, how they stay up. Okay. Armand, do you, do you go with that? I know you're not a fan of, of Everton. Do you, do you agree that they're going to go down? Uh, who who said that I'm not a fan of Everton? Oh, was it Toto? Did I did I did I miss? Yeah. Oh, it was Toto. No, yeah. I didn't. No, I just said that I, I wasn't going to cry if they go down. But that's no, one of you said he doesn't like the atmosphere in the stadium. No. 
I no, I said I like the atmosphere in uh, the stadium. Yeah. No, I think I totally agree with Ashley. I think Leeds and Everton are clubs you want to see in the Premier League just because mm. they have this history and they have this special atmosphere and, and it's always I think always great games when when maybe a top side comes to their ground. Um but yeah, I do worry for them as well. I think it's really difficult. I think Leicester have enough to stay up. I think they've just managed to stay up. And it's going to be between Everton and Leeds, I think. And at the moment, I'll say... I mean, they could have... It's difficult to say. They, they could have got eight against Man City. I mean, that 2-1 wasn't really reflective of the, yeah. of the, of the games. And, and they were all over the place, Leeds. And uh, I don't know... I will say Leeds probably, Leeds, Nottingham Forest, and and Southampton for me at the moment. Okay, Toto, just want to add your three teams to the mix. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with Arman. Leeds, Nottingham, and Southampton. Yeah, it's tough. I don't want Leeds to go down to be honest, but I think with the, the game they have in hand and everything, it's going to be very tough for them. So yeah, I'm going to say Leeds. You know, if Southampton beat Forest today, they're back in the mix. So um, maybe that's that's a wild card, shall? If they if no. they string somehow string together a a, a run of games, um, their their running is is Fulham, Brighton, and Liverpool. So even if they do win yeah. today, maybe maybe not. Yeah. Okay, Hashi, we've got you on to talk Champions League, and and let's do just that. You're an AC Milan fan. You you spent large parts of of your childhood in and around Milan, growing up in Italy. Um, let's let's maybe start there. What what are your first memories of, of supporting Milan? How do you what are your memories of the last um, of the last title in two thousand and eleven? Your memories of, of, of the, the the glory years in, in the mid noughties winning Champions Leagues and, and, and leagues, players like like you know, the the Pirlos, the Gattusos, the Nestas, the Maldinis, the the Shevchenkos, as you mentioned, start start there. Talk to us about that. What what drew you in at AC Milan back in the back in the day? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, sort of the the start of me being a football fan was amazing <laughs> because every other year it felt like we were in a Champions League final. Um, my first footballing memory of a game I actually remember watching because I remember the two thousand and two World Cup in, in in pieces, but the first game I remember watching was. The 03 Champions League final when we beat Juventus on penalties. I just remember exactly, yeah. When uh, Shevchenko um, scored, and funnily enough, that that season we played Inter Milan in the semis. Um, so hopefully it's a premonition. But um, we um, <laughs> Shevchenko scored the winning penalty. I just remember him celebrating, running off in Indida's arms. And I don't know. It's it's odd because at the time, obviously, I was a kid and that was all I knew. But it just felt like. Any any team that would come to the San Siro, if we go to any other club in, in Europe, um, we have we'd have a chance to win, and we I, I I'd always back our players over over theirs. And I mean, two years after that Champions League final, we obviously had the one against Liverpool, which was awful from kind of <laughs> a fan perspective. But um, looking back on it now, it's been a long it's been long enough where I think yeah, it's it's uh, it was a great day for football, and um, we got our revenge two years later. So I'm just about over it. Um, but I just think no that that team is uh, I'm obviously a, 
always going to be an AC Milan fan and uh, always going to love the, the badge more, more than anything. But if anyone sort of asks me, what's, what's the team that made you fall in love with football? It's, it's that one, right? Like, it's the, it's the team I can rattle off the starting 11 for each of those, those seasons. There's, there's players that were there for um, eight, nine, ten plus years um, that, that just kind of marked not just like AC Milan in Italian football history, but some of them are kind of just legends of, of football, right? You think of Sadov, the, the first footballer to, to win the Champions League with three different teams. You've got Maldini, who's got, I think, five European Cups. You've got, um, who else? Kaká, a Ballon d'Or winner. A Shevchenko, a Ballon d'Or winner. Nesta, an amazing centre-half. Like, I just think that team was um, was unbelievable. And, yeah, I, 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 I'm not very optimistic that we'll ever get to those heights again just because of the, the, the imbalance of, of the Premier League with the, the rest of European football. But um, it was certainly a, a special time. And I think, to your point around the, the last title in 2011... It's funny because at that point, obviously, we won the Serie A. And looking back on it, I think we really should have won more Serie A's in that time period because in terms of player for player, we probably had the best team in Italy. Um, and there's a lot of, I think, league titles we, we left on the table. But at that time, it definitely felt like we were on the downward. Like, there had been a few years where, obviously, Kaká had left, Shevchenko had left. We were signing players that were great, don't get me wrong, but not quite at the level that we would have signed them. So we signed Ronaldinho when he was already starting to um, uh, lose a bit in his legs. Um, we signed, I think, Rubinho from Man City, who was good, but not clearly at the level where um, he was when he was at Real Madrid. I think at that point, the only reason we won the league was because of Ibrahimovic. Like, we, we'd got him from, from Barcelona, again, he hadn't had a great time of it, so I don't think we would have been in the running of for if, if if we were trying to get him the season before when he left Inter. Obviously, he'd never have gone from Inter to Milan, but I just don't think we were in the running for um, a player of that calibre. Um, but at that point, it was literally in this area, whoever has Ibrahimovic is going to win it. Um, and he, he literally dragged us to that title. We weren't the greatest of footballing teams, right? We had... I love Kevin Prince Boateng, but like he's not clearly not the level of <laughs> when we used to have Pirlo and um, what's it called? Um, well, Pirlo was still there actually, there, but he he only played I think ten or fifteen games. But he clearly wasn't at the level of like when we had Kaka as a number ten or Rui Costa as a number he ten. He scored some bangers um, though, Kevin Prince Boateng. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was yeah, good for a banger, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, there, there was one against Barcelona that yeah. sticks in my head where he does <laughs> yeah. a cry turn and then shoots it um, from first. But I just think like that year we won just because of, of Zlatan and it kind of papered over the cracks a little bit and and um, kind of led into that period, that, which I'm sure you're going to ask me about, of um, <clears throat> less than stellar performances, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised you... myself to look this up. I mean, the, the title in 2011 was the first time you won the Scudetto since 2004. Like, that's a mm-hmm. long time even then for 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 a team like for a club like AC Milan obviously there was the Champions League victory in 07 and, and all, all of the rest of it but that even I thought you kind of dominated Serie A in, in, in the noughties which is less the case than I thought it was actually so I kind of had to refresh my memory there what were you saying Armand? No it was me oh, do, was do you remember Philippe, Philippe Mexes? Yes Oh, <laughs> oh wow yeah, because you were talking about the, the, the goal from Kevin Prince-Bratek, but the bicycle kick from Philippe Mexes. Was it in the Against Anderlecht. Yeah, 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 it was against Anderlecht in the group wow. stages there. Nah, man, this one. <laughs> okay, let's uh, 
let's take a trip uh, further along memory lane. Um, let's move along further in memory lane, I should say, and talk the barren years. I'm not going <laughs> to delve into it too long, but then you had Seydorf taking over as a coach and Filippo Inzaghi and, and Brocchi. Massimo Brocchi is his name, I think. Uh, Christian, Christian Brocchi. Christian Brocchi, Brocchi sorry. Um, you finished eighth in 2014. You finished tenth under Filippo Inzaghi in 2015. Uh, and 16, 7th, and then up until Pioli, the current coach, took over in 2019, really, it was all, it was not, maybe not mid-table, but it was, it was tough as, as, definitely outside looking in, yeah. Yeah, that was the, the sleeping giant phase from, from the outside. How was that time from the inside, Hashi? How did you, how did you live through it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, definitely, it was, uh, as I said, kind of, uh, it definitely felt like from, the moment uh, Shevchenko left, that we were slowly taking steps off from the, the pinnacle of Europe, right? It started being favourites from Champions League to, oh, if you face Milan, it's not great, but you can probably beat them to not even getting into the Champions League to, what is European football? <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's kind of a step by step. By step. I would say that it, it, I wouldn't, I think it all started with um, Allegri, to be honest. I think... When when he became our manager, like from the outside looking in, it looks like, oh, he 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 joined Milan. We won the league for the first time in seven years, and he must have been a big. He he'd obviously he met, he was he was a good manager, and he obviously proved that he's a good manager at Juventus. But a lot of that season, as I said before, was because Zlatan came in and kind of just carried us to to victory. The year after, we really should have won the league again. I think we were probably a better team, and sort of Tago Silva had emerged as probably with Sergio Ramos, the best centre-off in the world. Like, you had um, Ibra still... I think he scored more goals the year after. It was something like 28 goals in, in the league. Um, and we lost to, to Juventus. And it kind of felt like, right, if we're not winning the league with this team and we're, we're paying all these players loads of money, like we had, obviously, Ibrahimovic, Tago Silva, Alexandre Pato was still there getting injured all the time. I think we still had Antonio Cassano getting it. Again, he had a really a big heart problem and he couldn't play for for quite a bit of time. And it kind of coincided with all our great players who were kind of reaching the end of their careers leaving at the same time. I think Sadov left to some Brazilian team, Inzaghi retired, Nesta went to the MLS, Gattuso went to play in Switzerland. Um, I'm trying to remember who else. Um, it just felt like in one go, like Zambrotta let retired, like everyone kind of just, just left. And we had this team in 12-13 that was very, very odd. Like we had a, a load of young players and then Massimo Ambrosini was the only one that was still there, the, the club captain. So who in that period, who was your frustration directed at? Was it the board? Was it the, the coaches? Well, who was who do you, you see as responsible for, for, the, for that run? I think it's probably a combination of the board and the manager. So Allegri letting Pirlo go to Juve, um, I just don't understand. And it made it like triply worse because he then ended up managing Juve and starting Pirlo every game, which is just, I don't understand how you do that. But um, uh, And then the board as well, like because it felt like in one go they just sold everyone like Ibra and Thiago Silva both at the same time to the same team that just felt very much like financial issues though were they forced to do it or was it just we can overhaul here and and get young blood in I would imagine it's more the former in that 
because Thiago Silva was still quite young, like he wasn't he wasn't uh, old or anything. Ibra like is, is still playing for us now, right? So you expect you're thinking kind of you'd still get ten years out of him. I think it was a lot of probably the the, the couple of summers before where we tried to, we got him in and then we we started playing paying all these players quite a bit of money. It felt a bit like we're going to have to pay for it at some point in the future. And I think the fact that we didn't win the league that year and Juve won it. Um, was a bit the, kind of the straw that broke the camel's back of right. Okay, we're not winning. We may as well um, take this time to, to overhaul, and it kind of coincided with all the the legends leaving at the same time. Okay, um, and then in 2019, as I mentioned, Stefano Pioli uh, took charge of the club. What were your thoughts on on that appointment? So at that point, I. It sounds really bad as a football fan, right? But I kind of written off the season already. Like I was like, I don't care. I've seen this already. Like we, because uh, I think we just missed out on the Champions League on the final day the, the season before with Gattuso. And Gattuso, to be honest, was a good Milan manager. I think from the clubs, from the players that he had, he probably overperformed a bit. But then we got um, Marco Giampaolo to, to to be the manager. I think he had managed some Dario before, um, and he started off the season I think with four defeats. And it felt like we'd taken a couple of steps forward and then fifty steps back. It felt right back to when we had Inzaghi and like. Mexa, oh, sorry, not Mexa, Jeremy Menez being our best player. Like, it just felt very like, okay, what are we doing here? Um, and then Pioli came in, and again, he'd managed Inter before. Like, he, he just felt like a standard Serie A manager. But then the form that we showed coming out of lockdown was probably among not just the best in Italy, in Italy but probably the best in Europe. Um, and again, Pioli deserves big credit, but there's a bit of a theme we want to have to say. Like it coincided with Ibrahimovic coming back. <laughs> like he comes in, and then all of a sudden we turn into the best team in, in Italy. Like I remember there was one game we were two 0 down to Juventus um, just after half time, and then we come back and win four two. And this isn't the Juventus of um, today, right? It was two years ago. Ronaldo was still there, like, and they were still they were off the back of like eight series and I think they won the league that year that was the last year they won the league and then Inter won it the year after um, and then we were just beating teams left. I think we beat Lazio 3-0 and they were pushing for the title like um, I don't know like my opinion of Pioli skyrocketed after that um, but obviously in no part because of because of Zlatan and the impact that he he brought back to the club you you finished the, the 2020-21 season in, in second place running coming just short of, of rivals Inter were you confident that you were building a title winning squad at that time or was it still like ah we, we keep falling short sure, probably going to go back down or was it like no we're on the up here next year we'll, we'll properly challenge and we might as well even win it it's interesting because personally like me watching the games every week I felt like okay we definitely are building something I think to be honest not many People would agree, but I think we probably threw the title away that year. It felt very much like what Arsenal have done this year with City, where we had a chance to be a few points ahead of Inter before the the uh, the, the kind of the game that we played against them. Um, we drew one and lost one, and it was like uh, I remember we lost two 0 away at Spezia, and that was such a stupid defeat because we like there's no there's no reason to lose that game, um, and then we lost three 0 to Inter, and the wheels kind of fell off. I felt like. It was more because we didn't do what we were supposed to do, as opposed to the level was too high. So I was quite confident the year after, but most of the Italian media was very much like, "Oh, Milan kind of overperformed the year before. They'll probably they'll be lucky to get back into the top four again," um, which made the the title win kind of extra sweet um, the year after because I think we kind of 
took a lot of teams by surprise by the the fact that um, we managed to not just keep pace with Inter again, who'd probably got a bit better. I know they lost um, Lukaku, but as a footballing team, they've got um, um, better than the year before. Um, the fact that we were able to win the league was super, super sweet. And, uh, of course, it, it coincides with Italian football being very dominant in Europe again. We've got uh, two Italian teams in the Champions League semis. We've got Juve in, in the Europa League. We've got Fiorentina in the Conference League. Also, Roma in the in the Europa League. So you've got you've got five Italian teams still in in Europe at the at the semi-final stage. Is Italian football really on the up, or is this just like a you know we we've, we've, we all know the the European competitions can be a bit random with the with the um, the matchmaking process of just kind of drawing teams randomly, but, but did you see Italian football improving? Is it on the up? So I'd probably answer that with a question of my own. Of all those teams that you've listed, which one of them have beaten a team that you weren't expecting them to beat to get to this stage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it, that, that's, that's why I'm asking the question, because that's... That's my perception of it as well. Is that I don't really think you can measure how strong a league is by how well they do in in Europe. No, for sure. I think to to, to answer it more more specifically, I'd say the the draw has made it a lot easier. Obviously, I think Italian football has been more competitive than it's been for a long time. But I think it's more because Juventus have kind of regressed back to the level of the other clubs, and the other clubs have probably improved a little bit. Like I think Napoli are certainly a better side than they were. Um, over the last 10 years, I think Milan have also improved, Inter have improved, um, Roma's probably got a bit worse, um, but uh, I think the, the, the league's become more competitive, but in terms of, and we're probably going to talk about kind of what we might expect to happen in a final, if Milan or, one of Milan or Inter are going to get to the final, that team is going to be a massive underdog, whoever wins the, the City-Real Madrid one, just because at the level of individual players, like, there's no comparison. And at the level of management, again, no comparison. You've got two of the greatest managers of all time on the other side of the draw. And frankly, with all due respect to Simone Inzaghi and um, Stefano Violi, you've got managers that are only really managing top clubs in Italy because all the other managers are in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> Just about because of uh, the Serie A, um, I, I can't judge how good it is. I just don't follow it enough for me to say it. What I would say though is when I do pick out a game uh, when I when I want to watch one, maybe a, a Milan derby or, or Inter against Juve or Napoli, I always get disappointed. Yeah. And it's always like you I what I like to see is high intensity, high tempo, that maybe that imperfect football, you know? when you see a lot of team press and mm. uh, high energy. And I think when I watch Serie A, it's very uh, defensive and the tactics are really good. You see they're very well organized, but it's not It's not what I want to see. <laughs> and that's why I think for me it's because I watch so much football in uh, uh, Premier League, the Bundesliga and, and the Swiss League, I don't really... It's not enough for me to take more to, to, to watch those games as well. That's what I would say. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, oh, Toto? Oh, 
Yeah, to be honest, I agree with that because yesterday I was watching you and and I fell asleep in front of the game. So, <laughs> you were also out for three days in a row. That's not a fair. That's not a fair. No, comparison. but no, but I mean, <laughs> I just I just woke up and Vlaovic scored, and I was so happy that he scored because I, I saw what happened during that game, and mm. it's again a disgrace. But that's another discussion. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with Arman on that. But I would let that to to Ashi. Let's let's talk about the the Champions League. Hashi, you've obviously got this all all Italian clash coming up. Is it is it going to be just a boring game? You you said yourself earlier that you you hope Milan just keep it tight at the back and then beat them in the in the reverse fixture. Is it are we being harsh on Italian football or is it a case of they are still like the stereotype suggests more defensive, more pragmatic, not trying to achieve perfection more than what Armand calls imperfect football, which I think is a very accurate description. What What are your thoughts on, on that? No, I mean, I think I, I completely agree. I think it's not just a, a factor of the Serie A now. I think that's historically been Italian football. You don't think of um, Italian teams as um, necessarily blowing teams away with kind of the quality of their attacking football. And if you think about historically Italian managers, right, I think the, the biggest example that comes to mind is when Fabio Capello became the manager of England and everyone thought you're getting this continental manager that's going to revolutionise everything and get Gerard and Lampard to play well together and will score loads of goals, but it ended up being just sit deep, two banks of four and see if we can hit you on the break. I think that's Italian football, to be honest. And it's a bit of a shame, I think, but it's more about the team that makes the fewest mistakes wins. And that's why, kind of, and I think the team that has epitomised that historically is Juventus. Like, Juventus are the most boring team to watch year in, year out, even when they had players like Del Piero and um, their, their, their kind of legends uh, gone by, like Roberto Baggio as well in the 90s. Like You have the one ma- magician that can unlock again Michel Platini in the 80s, but then the rest of the team is just solid. I think of the three big it- Italian teams, AC Milan are probably the ones that historically take more chances and have kind of more um, forward-looking and sort of, for want of a better word, like, magical forward players. But again, historically, we've probably not done as well in the league as we should have done. And it may be because, you know, you take all these risks, but the other teams are so well-structured and well-balanced and um, maybe a bit more risk-averse. We end up drawing more games than you'd think, and by making stupid mistakes and having to claw back results at the end. And we've definitely seen that happen this year. But I think to answer your question about the Milan into Derby, I think... We can't afford it not to be a boring game because, as much as it pains me to say, we don't have a squad good enough to go and blow Inter off the the pitch. I think you saw what happened with the Milan-Napoli game where it was horrible to watch for me because I think this is AC Milan and that's Napoli. They've won, at the time it was two, they've won three league titles. We've won seven Champions Leagues. Like, we're, we're meant to dominate them, right? But... We have to be realistic and understand where we are, right? And um, if we're going to have any chance to get to the final, I think it has to be built on defensive solidity and take advantage of the fact that defensively Inter haven't been so great. And obviously it all hinges on Rafael Lau's injury, but if he's fully fit and you've got him and Teo Hernandez on the break and a, like a sort of a clinical finisher like Drew in the, in the middle, I think... You've got a chance to do something, but it won't be. I mean, let's put it this way: like, it won't be a great watch for the neutral, <laughs> the Milan Gerard. How 
it, you were very confident against as soon as I remember the draw coming out you know Milan being drawn against Napoli in the in, in the quarters and, and as soon as the draw came out you were like oh no we will beat these but I'm confident and I, I, I we, we had the discussion on the pod as well Dwayne came on and we spoke about this and I I said that as well you've got that X factor that Champions League factor you've won it seven times it's a it's a huge name are you as confident because Inter are less are, are, are worse off in the league than Napoli obviously have just won it but but are you perhaps less confident because Inter also have a history in the competition yeah no I def- definitely am less confident I think with Napoli the reason I had so much confidence it wasn't just kind of the clubs because I think although I think it's definitely true that the, the history of the clubs makes a difference I think it's more about the players that you put out onto the pitch and we certainly didn't have be- I think we probably do have better top-end talent than Napoli, but they, they obviously have some fantastic players, to be honest. But um, it's more, none of them had been in that position before. None of them, like, this is a, a very alien um, situation for Napoli. Like, they, they, they haven't been in a title race since, like, all the players that were in the title races against Juve had gone. Like, you've got Mertens and um, Koulibaly and Insigne and Higuain. They'd all, obviously... Uh, yeah, Hamsik as well, but, uh, but before that, Levetsi and Cavani, like all those guys that uh, had already had, had gone. With Inter, it's different because while we have experienced players like Giroud and Terra Hernandez have played in a World Cup final, Simon Chiara is very experienced. Um, uh, Leao is obviously uh, gaining more experience uh, at, as uh, each season goes. Each season goes by. Um, Inter have got some experienced players too. But right? you've got Mkhitaryan, you've got Lukaku, you've got Lautaro Martinez has played in a World Cup final. Chalanoglu has been uh, top-end European football for a while, as much as I don't like him. Um, <laughs> uh, Milan Skriniar has been playing a while. De Vrij has played in, in World Cups. Like They've got the level of pedigree that Milan have got. And on top of that, I think the squads are reasonably evenly matched. And obviously, if Leal is injured, um, it's probably a lot tipped more in Inter's favour. So I think the things that Inter have going for them in comparison to Napoli is they've got more experienced players that can probably maybe handle tighter moments. And the big thing as well is there's no like there's no overwhelming pressure on them. Napoli had to beat us and they had to beat us well because we've been playing so badly in the league. And that kind of plays in your mind. And the worst situation you want to be in is you've got all the pressure on you. You've got most of the ball and you've got demons like Rafael Al and Terra Hernandez hitting you on the break, right? Like that so you don't want to be in that. We've all been in the situation where you're dominating possession but you've got a very quick player that can change the game by himself and you don't want to be playing against that. For for Brent FC it was it was Armand back in his loan spell. Um, <laughs> Toto, how do you how do you compare the the two sides? Do you see them fifty fifty? Is there anyone you see potentially making the difference? The goalkeeper to be honest, one week ago, uh, it was 50-50 for me, but now if Leao is out for the first game, and I don't know if he's going to be out for the second game, for the second leg as well, but with Leao out, uh, I, I do see maybe in, uh, the Internazionale with, uh, with a 55% maybe, but I think it's going to be very tight, um, and I don't see a winner in that it's going yeah, just watch the game and enjoy the game and that's it. But I, I can't predict like someone is going to win. Yeah, Inter Milan are going to win 5-0 or something like that. Just don't see any team better than the others. So it's going to be a nice game to watch. Even though it's, uh, as, as she said, it's not going to be entertaining. But yeah, just watch the game and we'll see. 
I think early early goal would be good, you know. Just yeah, to, yeah. The the first team to just, score. So, so the the game. other the other team has to think about yeah. maybe um, scoring and and playing a bit more on the front foot. Yeah. So um, and as that, you said, yeah. as you said, Fabi as well. The the two keepers are some world class keeper with Onana and Mike Mignon. So I think it will come to that as well. But it's going to be a lockdown on both hands. So yeah. Prediction time, boys. Who? I mean, the one prediction I'm brave enough to make about this game is that there, there won't be. We, we won't know who goes through up until the, the second game for sure. It's not going to be decided in the mm-hmm. first leg. Hashi, if you had to put your, your, your money on a result, uh, what would it be? If I had to, if I were a betting man, I would say the first leg's going to finish nil nil. Yeah. And I think it's going to be. And I think it might be nil-nil until maybe the last 20, 30 minutes of the second leg. I don't think any either team... I think it's too... I've seen, I've seen this video happen many, many times. I think when, when Italian teams are under pressure, you don't get high-scoring matches. I'm looking forward to that game. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you see a 3-5 a thriller, Armand? Um, no. Probably not, but uh, it's so frustrating, man. Why these Italian teams? Why they always play with the tail between their legs? I mean, come on, go for it. (laughs) I mean, for me, if the World Cup has taught us anything, is that going going for it has 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 its rewards, reaps its rewards. Um, I mean, the World Cup final was the epitomization of it. But I do feel like there's been a shift that you can't you can't park the bus your way to glory anymore. I think people. People do prefer to play attacking way and, and, and yeah, I I agree with that. I think especially a team against teams like like Man City, if you just or Arsenal as well, if you just set them behind and waiting, they're just gonna find solutions um, all the time, you know. But in this matchup, I do think it can maybe help if you have a. A strong backline with a good uh, transition, transition yeah. moments. But uh, yeah, I would I would love to see a, a thriller. I think the atmosphere is is going to be even more crazy if w- one team is starting to uh, to heat up offensively. You know. So yeah, let's see. I mean, in all credit credit where it's due, Inter scored had a had a six goal thriller last time out in the Champions League when they drew to three three to Benfica in. in the second leg of the quarters. Uh, I have one more question for Ashi. Yes. Ashi, um, you only won 17 games this season. Is that not kind of disappointing after winning the league? And did you not maybe think we can challenge maybe a bit more again this year? Is this like a step back now with Pioli? I think, yeah, definitely. I think it's been massively disappointing. I think, to be honest, the thing that's keeping... I don't—I think he's got enough goodwill to stay in the job, but I think that the thing that's keeping people off his back is the fact we're doing so well in the Champions League. I think um, it's not been good enough. I think up until the World Cup and just after, we were still within touching distance. I think the gap between us and Napoli was similar to the gap between us and Inter last year, and we managed to claw it back. I think... What didn't help is the fact that Maignan got injured and the drop-off from Maignan to uh, the reserve goalkeeper is huge. And on top of that, I think 
the trick is always when you when you win the league and when you're strong, you have to strengthen, right? And we tried to strengthen, but the players that have come in have been nowhere near good enough. And the players that we let go, there's one in particular, Frank Kessie, letting him go and not having a replacement <clears throat> come in. I think we tried to um, replace him with a player that had gone out on loan called Pobega, who was at Torino last year and done very well, but Kessie is on a completely different level. Um, we, I think... Yeah, Origi, less said about him the better. <laughs> and uh, De Catalara has been really disappointing because he's the one that was supposed to be sort of taking the pressure off um, Leal and being kind of the guy that would take Brahim Diaz's place. But it ended up being that. And probably in a good thing for us in the Champions League, it's made Brahim Diaz go up a level. But um, no goals, no assists, and we're already in May is, isn't great for a player that you spend 35 million uh, euros on. So it is. Um, yeah, I just have maybe a last question as well. Yes, of course. Do you think you be in the top four? I think it's going to be difficult. I think um, it's not in our hands anymore, which again is a massive shame because we drew to Cremonese, we drew to like some other teams that we should be beating. Um, ironically, I think because we've got Juventus still to play, I fancy us in that match because I think whenever we play, I think the only top team to have beaten us in the league this year was Inter. Um, and then we also beat them in, in the reverse leg. Um, like Lazio this weekend, there was no reason for us to go away and beat them 2-0 with Leal being injured, but we've got that weird gear in us where they do, we just remember that we won the league last year and we're actually a good team <laughs> whenever we play against um, good teams. Um, I think I'm not super confident, but I also haven't given up on it. Okay. Cool. And uh, obviously the path to Champions League might be also by winning the Champions League which should be yeah, super easy because in the final there's there's only the small matter of, of either Real Madrid or Man City uh, waiting uh, we, we've we ran out of time a little bit so I'm going to just do a quick predictor on that one, I'm sure we'll talk about the game in more depth once it's played Real Madrid versus Man City on Tuesday night tomorrow for those of you listening in on Monday um, huge game, loads have been said loads have been discussed about it Real just won the Copa on Sunday it's it's I mean anything other than an absolute classic would surprise people. Uh, maybe just quickly, Armand, who who do you see going through Real Madrid versus Man City? Um, it's gonna be City for me this year, yeah. and I think actually they're gonna blow them away. I don't think Real Madrid will be close to them. I think they're going to blow them away, honestly. I've well, already heard Toto sigh of disagreeing there. No, I, I, I do I do agree with him. I think City are the better side but in the Champions League with Madrid. You, you can't say that they're going to... Come on, man. That's so cliche all the time. Even, no, like, but, even we, like with Milan. This is like such a... I hate no, this. Is, but, it's like yeah, the myth, Madrid you know? Was, it's just they're just a better side, and if you if you play a Champions League semi final, you're gonna go all in. Don't matter if you play for Real Madrid or 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 I don't know Chelsea. It's gonna be. It's not like Real Madrid have ever 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 a big advantage just because they 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 won it multiple times. Yeah, they're very experienced players who've been there multiple times, but it's not because of Real Madrid. 
the club. No, I'm know? not saying that. But last year we were saying the same thing. We we're like, nah, they are not good enough. They're not going to win it. They are better teams, and they just managed to win it. So I just think that we need to stay until the end of the game and make sure that they lose that game before we said they're going to lose it. But I agree with you. I think City are going to win that game, and I hope so. Hashi, speaking as someone of a fan of a, of a team who um, who also has that Champions League myth that Arman is is keen to dismiss. Real Madrid in the driving seat here. Definitely not in the driving seat, but I think that's the way they'd want it because, um, as much as I don't, th- I, I agree. Like it can be overblown a little bit, and I've certainly seen Milan be the favourite in a Champions League tie and then go out to Tottenham in the last sixteen, like in twenty eleven. Or like I've seen, I've seen the, the kind of that that thing be be um, a bit overblown. But I just think. Real Madrid are probably a better side than people give them credit for, certainly in terms of how they've done in the league this year. And they do have some unbelievable players. Um, and that's where I think the big if for me is how can they keep City out? Can, can they stop City from absolutely smashing them to pieces? Because that is a definitely an outcome that could happen. I mean, City can put three past anyone. Um, but if it's kind of tense, nervy... Um, You've got players like Vinicius, you've got players like Benzema, you've got players like Rodrigo, like Valverde. Like you've got some good players that can really hurt um, uh, Man City. So I don't necessarily think of it as like it's Real Madrid's aura that's going to take them through, but I just think that those are awkward players. Like You don't want a situation where Vinicius is streaking down the pitch like he was last year, right, where he destroyed Fernandinho right back and mm-hmm. um, managed to... Like I think Real Madrid are the... the it's not just the aura, but it's also that the kind of players they have. You don't want to get into a kind of a. I'll use like a boxing analogy. You don't want it to go to the scorecards. You don't. You want to knock them out early because they're not going to beat themselves. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I also think the two teams' styles really complement each other. City with all the possession and 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 trying to probe and and pass teams, and Real Madrid are quite happy to sit back and and see if Rodrigo and and Vinicius can can beat you on the counter like they did against Chelsea in the second leg. Uh, and I think that that will be a very very interesting matchup because I'm not sure that if you have as much quality as as Real Madrid, even City's backline might struggle. Um, okay, boys, that's all we've got time for today. Hashi, massive massive thank you to you for coming on. I I do hope you'll be back. There'll be a second leg in the in the semi final for the Milan derby. Uh, big shout out to you for for coming on for doing this with us for giving us some insight into Italian football, and uh, obviously to my to my Swiss ballers, mates, Toto and, and Armand, thank you as always. Uh, this is the 10th episode. We've we've made it. We're going to have some discussions now and we're going to let everyone know what we're doing next because there might be more to come. Thank you to the three of you and we shall see you very soon. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Bye, bye guys. Bye.